Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're continuing there, and while, while you're finding your way to Nehemiah chapter 6, I want to just kind of set the stage for you a little bit as to where we're going this morning. All right, so hang with me and hold in and let me kind of lay a foundation for you this morning that we will build upon throughout the remainder of our time together. We are told in Romans chapter 8 what is the goal for our life. In other words, why, why you're still breathing air. In other words, why you and I are still alive. There is a goal for our life. There is a purpose to our still being here where we are. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we are told what that purpose is. We read, for those whom he foreknew, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined that is, designed it. What are we predestined for? To be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, the plan of God for your life, if you are His child, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, confessing your sin, repenting of that sin, and trusting in the completed work of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, if that's you, if today you are a Christian, the goal for your life, the plan of God for your life, is that you become like Jesus conformed to the image of His Son. That's, that's the phrase that's used here. What that means is that in your behavior, in your attitude, in your actions, you model Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for you. Now, I, I know we, we, we've talked about this before, and in our vision, in, 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 in what we feel God has called us to here, we've used those three words, the love, connect, serve. And some of you are thinking, now wait a minute, I thought that you told us the purpose of our life was to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I thought you said that our purpose in life was to glorify God. Yes. But understand that the two don't exclude one another. In fact, let me show you this. In John chapter 17, verse 4, listen to the words of Jesus. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus comes along and he says, I have accomplished the work that you've called me to do. And in doing that, I have glorified you. So see, the goal of your life, the purpose of your life, indeed, it is to glorify God. But the way that you do that is through becoming like Jesus. This is what Jesus did. He says, I have glorified you on earth. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, by default, we are going to glorify God. To glorify God, it means to make much of God. It, it means to praise Him. It means to love Him. It means that we're going to point people to God. So if we're going to be like Jesus, that's what we're going to do. 
But understand that if you are going to become like Christ, you're going to face difficulties and opposition in the doing of that. It's not automatic. Wouldn't it be great if it was automatic? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and instantly, automatically, you are made like Jesus? No more struggle with temptation. No more struggle with sin. No more doubting what I should or shouldn't do. No more struggle in this life with these things that come against us. Wouldn't it be great if that happened so that we just instantly become like Jesus? But you know that that's not the way it works. You know that's not what happens. Because you've lived that life. You come to faith in Christ, and at that moment, oftentimes, the struggle actually intensifies. Because you see, when when the devil's got you, there's no danger of you becoming like Christ. But when you become a Christian, and the goal of your life is to become like Christ, that's when the attacks come. That's when the opposition comes. And friends, listen, the more that you have as your desire to become like Christ, and the more you set things in your life to help you do that, I am convinced the more opposition you're going to face the more difficulty you will face within that. And I'm going to tell you where the opposition comes from and how we deal with it in our lives, understanding what the enemy does. Let me first of all explain to you where the opposition comes, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, and I promise we're going to get to Nehemiah. Just hold on with me and we will get there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says in writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Hold on to that word. Following the course of this world. Following, number two, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our, number three, flesh. So do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying there was a period in your life when you were without Christ, before Christ in your life, you, you were controlled by this world, you were controlled by, he refers to him, the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's the devil and his plan and his schemes. And then number three, you were controlled by the passions of your own flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now I know Paul is talking about here what our life is like before we become a Christian. But listen, these forces do not cease when you become a follower of Christ. When you become a follower of Christ, the world doesn't suddenly let up on you, does it? No. You still deal with the world all around you. And I'm not talking about planet Earth around you. I'm talking about the philosophy of the world in which we live that is counter to the Word of God and against the Word of God. And also, when you become a Christian, you struggle with your own flesh, don't you? The things you don't want to do that that you have this tug to do. 
and the things you want to do that you have this tug in the other direction to not do. And you've got your flesh that is just battling sometimes with old sinful behaviors left over from before Christ, sometimes new things that pop up, and you've got the world against you, you've got the flesh against you, and you've got the devil against you. My goodness gracious, is there any hope at all for us to win in this? Is there any hope at all for us to come through this with the world alluring us away from Christ constantly? With our own flesh, these internal struggles that we face, and then the devil, the tempter, the one behind it all, the accuser. Well, see, when we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, what we've discovered is, going back to chapter 4, is these forces at work within Nehemiah as well. Now let me just remind you, if you're, if you're a guest of ours today, we've been talking about Nehemiah, a little bit of a historical context. Nehemiah was living in Babylon because the Babylonians had come into Israel. They had taken the Jewish people captive and made them slaves back in Babylon. And now a time has passed and some of them are returning to Jerusalem. Nehemiah gets there and he sees that the walls around the city of Jerusalem are in, in shambles. They're destroyed. They're wrecked. Jerusalem is the city of God, and so it's representative of the glory of God. The glory of God is demolished in the people's eyes, and the protection under which the people lived with the walls being around the city is gone. And so Nehemiah, with the plan given to him from God, sets out to lead the people to rebuild the walls. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah and the people face opposition from the world people around them with the, 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 the jeering and the taunting and the belittling and the threats that they bring against Nehemiah and the workers. In Nehemiah chapter 5, representative of the flesh that comes against them, when even the, their, the, the Jewish people themselves enslaving their own people to satisfy their own greed. Then we come to Nehemiah chapter 6 and we see the devil behind every bit of it. The world the flesh, and the devil. And you see it in the opposition that comes against Nehemiah, who is simply seeking to do the work of God. His goal and his desire is to do what God has called him to do. And as a result of that, he faces this, this level of constant criticism and constant opposition. Now listen, what we want to do is we want to learn the tools, we want to learn the devices, we want to learn the schemes that the devil uses within our lives to seek in, in, in his opposition against us to cause the work to stop. When we come to Nehemiah chapter 6, we find some familiar names there. We, we were introduced to them in Nehemiah chapter 4. You've got Sanballat, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I'd build the wall, that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Here you have them, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the unholy trinity. They're around all over Nehemiah. They are constantly coming against him. They're constantly seeking to lead people to come against Nehemiah and the work that God is doing. And remember, that's important. Remember, this is not Nehemiah's work. Even though the book has his name, this is not Nehemiah's work. This is God's work. 
Okay, you've got to always remember that because God has a plan for his people. Even here in the Old Testament, God has a plan for his people and he is bringing it all to fruition in his time and in his way. And what you need to understand is that any time that God is at work up to something, you can be assured that the devil is going to try his best to put an end to it in whatever way he possibly can. It's always been his plan. Always been what he's wanted to do, stop the plan of God. And let me remind you of the devices that the enemy has already used against the people. And, and for the sake of, uh, of just uh, remembering these things, I'm going to do an old preacher trick this morning, and I'm going to alliterate for you. And so all of them begin with D, okay? That'll help you out a little bit. So let's, let's just remind ourselves of what the enemy has already done. In chapter 4, verse 1, he has brought derision against the people. Derision against the people. He derides them, he puts them down, and then later on in chapter 4, verse 10, he brings discouragement to them, trying to discourage them, because when you get discouraged, the work doesn't go on. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, he threatens them with danger. We're going to come in and we're going to attack you. We're going to fight you. We're going to hurt you. We're going to kill you. And he brings danger against them. And then in chapter 5 is where you have this discord to, to bring disunity to the people of God so that the work might stop. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, we see some of the other schemes that the enemy uses to, to, to bring to bear against the people of God in seeking to stop the work of God. And you need to expect this. You need to understand. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are involved in a spiritual battle. You're involved in a battle. It's not flesh and blood. It's not, we're not warring against other people. Our war is against the enemy of God, the devil, and his plan against the work of God. And so we need to expect it. We need to be prepared for the attacks that come. That's why Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of his designs. So if we're not ignorant of his designs, that means we need to know kind of what he's up to. And listen, the enemy has no new tricks. It's the same plan, it's the same tool, the, the same tools that he used in the beginning, he is using to this very day. There's no need to change because they work so well on us. We've given so easily to them, and so let's learn what they are so that in our desire and in our goal to become more like Christ, the enemy doesn't stop that. Because remember, that's the goal of our lives, right? The goal is that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. The goal of your life is that you might become like Christ. So what is the enemy going to do to try to stop that from happening? First of all, he's going to use distraction. Distraction. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, again verse 1, down through verse 4. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the, our enemies heard that I had built the wall, that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecatharim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Now look at what's happening. The wall is being built, progress is being made, the other attacks haven't worked, and so what do these guys seek to do? Listen, friends, understand this. If the devil cannot defeat us as a roaring lion, he will try to defeat us as an angel of light. He'll try to make it look like everything's good, everything's wonderful, everything's peaceful, and that's what these guys said. They said, hey, Nehemiah, listen, come on down. Let's, let's just all make good with this, okay? Come on, Nehemiah, come down and let's talk. Let's just talk this through. Let's think this out. Friends, listen, you are not going to win the battle in becoming like Christ by sitting down and having a conversation with the devil. You're not. You're not, in fact, doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that something kind of like what Satan did all the way back at the beginning? Remember, God had created Adam and Eve, this perfect environment. And you remember what the serpent did? Remember what Satan did? In Genesis 3:1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat? any tree in the garden. See, he enters into this negotiation and he seeks to plant doubt in the mind of Eve. And he distracts Eve away from what God had said to what he wanted Eve to believe. God, did God really say that, Eve? Is that what God has said, that you shall not eat of any tree? In the, well, we know the answer to the question. No, God actually didn't say that. In fact, God said, you can have any of them, but one. You see what happens? When, when, when you sit down and have a conversation with the devil about what's going on in your life, he will leave you, I mean, he is like a high-dollar New York lawyer. He's going to leave you so confused, you're going to step out and say, I, what were we talking about? That's what he's going to do. You're not going to win that argument. Is it because you're foolish? No, it's because he's crafty. It's because he's witty. It's because he knows your weaknesses and he will attack them every time. And here's what happens. He seeks to, the, the enemy comes to seek to get Nehemiah distracted from the work of God, distracted from the word of God, just like he did with Eve. I love Nehemiah's response here in verse 3. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Listen, the best thing you can tell the devil when he comes knocking on your door with temptation and all of this other stuff is just simply to say, I ain't got time. I know it's bad grammar, but he knows what you mean by that. Get back to the Word of God. Get back into the work of God and say, I don't have time for this. Because listen, the, the devil wants to get you distracted from the work of God and the Word of God. And you know that's the case. You, you, you have made the determination, I must spend time with God in His Word. I must spend time with God in prayer. And so you set aside this time, and it is at that time that the kids decide to throw up. 
I am convinced that the devil has a button in every child's gut that he can just push and make them bring it all up. And now you're distracted from it. The phone rings. Somebody knocks on the door. Something happens to get you distracted from the work of God and the Word of God. Because listen, the enemy knows that if he can get you going this way, when the work is that way, the work stops. Listen, I'm telling you right now, some of you are in danger of being distracted by the enemy. He wants to divert you away from the things of God and the work that God's called you to do. And not just individually, but as a church, he would love for this to happen to us. He would love for us to get distracted away from the Word of God and what God says and the work of God and what He wants to do in us and through us. Do not get distracted from what God has called you to do. Hebrews chapter 12, we have one of the greatest ways to keep you from getting distracted. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do this? Here's how you keep from getting distracted. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to tell you the best way you can keep from getting distracted is to keep your eyes clearly focused on Jesus. Looking to... And you know where you find him? You find him right here. From beginning to end, this is where you find him. If this is being neglected in your life, you're being distracted from the work of God. I promise you. I pro I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I, if anything, I'm saying it out of personal experience. When I am out of the Word of God, I'm distracted from the things of God. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't sit down and, and have a, a friendly meeting with the devil. Don't do it. Don't get distracted from the things of God. Now let's continue, verse 5. Look at what we discover here. Distraction didn't work. Nehemiah said, I ain't got time to come down there. So here we come to verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, this is the fifth time it's happened here. He sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And, now, an open letter was kind of like a letter to the editor kind of thing. It's an open letter. It is designed for everyone who touches it to read it. Sandballot knows what he's doing. He sends this open letter. In it was written, It is reported among the nations... And Geshem also says it. Well, of course Geshem says it. You all are in cahoots with each other. Remember, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem? Of course Geshem also says it. That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now... Here it comes. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let's take counsel together. 
In other words, Nehemiah, I couldn't get you distracted, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to defame you. Defamation, it's a tool that the devil uses. Sanballat sends this open letter, and the letter meant for everyone to read it, meant to embarrass Nehemiah, and look at the accusations that he made against Nehemiah. In verse 6, he says, you plan to rebel. Y'all are going to rebel against the king. And then he comes along and he says, but even worse than that, not only are you leading a rebellion against the king, but you're going to become their king, Nehemiah. We know what's going on here. And then in verse 7 he says, you've even gone so far as to set up prophets who will proclaim you as king in the land. And then he threatens Nehemiah with it. King's going to hear about this, Nehemiah. King's going to hear what you're doing, so you need to come down here and you need to sit down and we need to talk. You see what they're doing? Now, was any of this true? Not one word of it. In fact, that's what Nehemiah says in verse 8. says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind. <laughs> I love that. This ain't happening. You have just grabbed this out of thin air and stuck it in your mind, Sanballat. Don't you love how that happens? Good old-fashioned rumor mill. If we don't have anything to put on you, we'll make up some things to put on you. It's, it's, it's been said, Nehemiah. Now, they did name Geshem, but other than that, it's reported among the nations. The whole world knows it, Nehemiah. Well, who are they? You ever notice how that happens? When the rumor mill gets started, well, they say, who is they? You know, a lot of people have come to me, really, who's a lot? And what always happens, well, I, you know, I'm not at liberty. I don't need to give their names. They told me in confidence, well, you broke that one real good, didn't you? That's the way the rumor mill works. Exaggerated, inaccurate, gossip, designed to hurt others. So the devil comes in, he just tries to slander Nehemiah all over the place. Your motives are impure. You're deceitful. You're, you're, you're prideful. You want to be king. Nehemiah just looks at him and he says, you know what, that's just a bunch of lies, guys. That's not true. And I'm not going to run around trying to stomp out every lie told against me. Because if I did, I'd never get anything done. We got work to do. We got to rebuild the wall. That's what God's called us to do. That's what we need to be doing. Now it's interesting to me in verse 9. We read about all of this, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And look at what Nehemiah does with the hurt. Because it hurts, doesn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What idiot came up with that? I mean, is that, does it hurt? When people lie about you? When they spread, spread rumors, does that hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts deep. In fact, it takes a lot longer for those to heal than it does. Somebody just comes and smacks you upside the head. But look at what Nehemiah does with the hurt. End of verse 9. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. He just comes and says, telling lies, guys. And then he takes his hurt to God. God, strengthen my hands. 
Do you know why Nehemiah would pray that he would be strengthened? Because there was a danger that he was losing his strength in the midst of it. He said, God, strengthen my hands. In the midst of all of it, strengthen my hands. Abraham Lincoln once said, Abraham Lincoln, he had his share of critics, didn't he? He said, if I were to try to reach, much less answer all of the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for any other business. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep on doing it until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me won't amount to anything. And if the end brings me out wrong, ten angels swearing that I was right would make no difference. Man, there's wisdom in that. You see, anybody who is serving God is at some point going to be slandered. After all, that's what they did with Jesus said Jesus was a drunkard, said he was a glutton. They even said he was in league with the devil himself. People are going to come against you when you're trying to become like Christ. They're going to question your motives. Well, I wonder who he's trying to impress. (laughs) They're going to question, well, look at him. Doesn't he think he's holier than thou? No, he probably doesn't think that, but he probably is holier than you, or you wouldn't have that attitude. Blah, 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 they just go on with it. If you're going to seek to be like Christ, understand the devil is not going to sit back. He's going to use everything he can against you. Third thing that he used, we've got to hurry. Wow. As he used dismay, look at verse 9. They all wanted to frighten us. Come down to verse 10. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehath, yeah, that one, uh, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. (laughs) Nehemiah comes along and says, Nehemiah, they're after you. You better run for your life. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in this? To live knowing that people were out to get you constantly. Nehemiah's getting ready to go to bed, puts on his pajamas, blows out his lamp, and he hears a noise. Is that them? Is that them? Are they here? Satan tried to dismay the man of God, to bring fear into him. But can I give you the promise of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10? Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The devil wants us to live in fear. God does not. We read in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We talk to people about why they don't share their faith. You know the number one reason people don't share the the faith with others? Fear. Afraid. See, that's, that's the work of the devil. He wants to make you fearful of the work of God. Don't let him intimidate you. You know, I'm just, I'm really afraid to live for Jesus at work. I'm afraid of what people might say. It might even cost me my job. Don't be dismayed. And then finally, verse 12, I sought to use deception. I understood 
saw that God had not sent him, that is this man named Shemaiah in verse 10, but had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. This, this man, Shemaiah, pretended to be Nehemiah's friend. Nehemiah, they're after you. Come on, let's go to the temple and let's hide out there. But Nehemiah was not going to be deceived by the devil. And listen, that's what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to deceive you. He's the master of deceit. That's why John warns his readers in 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. Look at what you're reading. Look at what you're listening to. Test it. See if it lines up with God. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 11, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deceits. How do you know when something is from God or when it's not from God? Well, I promise you this. If it doesn't squarely fit with the Word of God, it's not from God. It's not. If it doesn't fit with the Word of God, it is not from God. Here was Shemaiah. He was trying to get Nehemiah to go into the temple. Not just any part of the temple, but he was actually trying to get him to go into a section of the temple that was reserved only for the priest. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. Thankfully, Nehemiah knew the Word of God. He said, no, I can't go in there. That's not the place for me. See, friends, listen. If, if the goal of our life is to become like Christ, you need to be a student of this book. You need to know the Word of God. Don't please, please do not do me the disservice of showing up Sunday in and Sunday out and expecting that I'm going to give it all to you. I can't. You must be a student of the Word of God. Know it. Learn it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Plant it in your heart. All of the opposition that comes, all of the schemes, distraction didn't work against Nehemiah, Defamation didn't work against Nehemiah. Dismay didn't work against him. Deception didn't work against him. None of it worked. We know that because of what he says in verse 15. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days, the wall is finished. The enemy attacked. Nehemiah said, we've got to keep working. We've got to keep working. Even when he was at the point of nearly losing his strength, God strengthened my hand. He continued to work. And in verse 16, you see the outcome of it. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. 
and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Wow. (laughs) Friends, I just want to tell you, that's the kind of church I want us to be. Where the people look and say, God had to do that. He had to do that. It happened because of absolute dependence on God. Two times in this chapter, verse 9, verse 14, in both of them, you see the attitude of Nehemiah in prayer. What was going on? He said, God, hear. And he brings himself before God. It was the constant characteristic of his life. Nehemiah trusted God and depended on him to do it. And I want to ask you today, are there distractions in your life that are keeping you from becoming like Christ? What are you going to do with them? They're not going to be able to stay. You're going to embrace the distractions or you're going to embrace becoming like Christ. Which is it? Are you letting others talk about you, keep you from becoming like Christ? Well, what will my friends say? Well, what those, all those guys that I play basketball with say? What do those guys I play football with say? What do the people say that I work with? What, what, what are they going to say? Are you living in fear of just selling out to Jesus? To just committing to Him and surrendering to Him in your life? Are you holding firm to the truth? God's Word that God uses to make you become like Christ. That's the goal of your life. What are you doing with it? Father, we thank You again for this day. We thank You for the reminder from Nehemiah, the reminder from Your Word that Your desire for us, Your plan for us, is that we be conformed to the image of Your Son. Father, please make that a reality within our lives. That in all things, we might depend upon You for the doing of it. Now, Father, take Your Word, bring it to bear upon our hearts and our lives. Bring us where You want us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.